the key is not about becoming like the masses of people. It's mm-hmm. a very distinct path and you have to take pride in being distinct. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugar coating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Gurleen Kaur. And I'm Prabhjot Kaur. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for the thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron, Wendat, Ohlone, and Chokenyo. Also, just some reminders, if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at experiencesikki.com. So moving on to our guest. Our guest today is Harinder Kaur Khalsa. Harinder Kaur is a deputy sheriff who previously worked for the Alameda County Sheriff's Office. In 2009, she was told she cannot wear her dastar while in her sheriff's uniform. For years, Deputy Sheriff Khalsa took a non-uniform desk assignment that kept her segregated from the public. In this podcast, we talked to her about the struggles she faced as both a Dastad-wearing Sikh and as a woman. She has inspired many young people to fight for what they believe in, despite the outside noises. We can't wait for you to hear her story. So, with that being said, here's her in their core. Welcome, Benji. Thanks for being on the Experience Sikhi podcast with us today. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. We're really excited. Um, so, let's start off the podcast by you telling us a little bit about yourself. I was born in Birmingham, England. My parents lived there for about 10 years before they moved to Fremont, California. Um, Actually, I stayed back with my grandparents for about three years. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to California to stay with my family when I was about seven years old. Yes. Okay, that's why you don't have an accent. I was (laughs) wondering. I can fake it. You can, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Um, So what was life like then once you got to California? Uh, yeah, it was an adjustment, definitely. Um, but it worked out. Um, I was seven at the time, so I was in second grade. Mm-hmm. And um, I have an older brother who was four years older than me, and then a sister who's five and a half years older than me. So I grew up in Fremont, pretty much went to uh, elementary school, junior high, and high school in Fremont. And then we moved to Union City um, mm-hmm. through my freshman year. And which is right next to Fremont, it's pretty close by. Um, mm-hmm. Through that time, my parents were Amrit six, and that was pretty much um, something that was kind of a part of our regular practice. We had Siddhiguru Granth Sahib in our home. Um, I practiced it on a very low level, you could say, because um, there was a lot of vanity. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I always thought it was the truth, but I wasn't able to practice it. Um, like to actually get a shock until much later in life. So it's something that I struggled with, definitely. It's so interesting hearing you talk, like you just said, second grade. Here in Canada, we say grade two. We don't yeah. say second uh, grade. And freshmen, we just say grade nine as freshmen. Right. Or if you're talking about university, we say first year, right? Yeah. We don't say freshmen. It's interesting hearing you talk. Um, 
Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how you got into Sikhi then? How did that change for you? Um, so in high school, my parents started having a lot of Asa Divad programs in our home um, mm-hmm. with Sangat. And so it kind of became like a stronger presence. Um, but still, I, I went off to college. I went to UC San Diego, which is about a seven hour drive from where we lived at the time. Sikhi was always in the background, but it wasn't something I could practice. Until um, 2004, when I was with the sheriff's department, and it just became um, something I couldn't deny anymore. It was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to become a Mathadi. And But at that time, I was working for a sheriff's department that had a very strict uniform policy in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was something I couldn't just show up the next day to work with my Dastar. Um, it was definitely a process of trying to work with the department. So you mentioned sheriff. Can you explain to us what a sheriff is? Like, what are the duties and roles of a sheriff? So a deputy sheriff um, is a little bit different than a police officer because you work for the county. So you have the county jails, you have courthouses, you also have a patrol division, but you have, it's more diversified versus a police officer responsibility is just to work for a particular city mm-hmm. there and it's it's all patrol for a police officer so if we go back how did you end up um, becoming a deputy sheriff so what sort of education and training did you go through oh yes I sort of skipped that didn't I yes yeah, so <laughs> I was at UC San Diego studying psychology I love psychology um, and also working in group homes at the time And after getting my bachelor's in psychology from UC San Diego, um, I went on to get my social work degree, my master's from Sacramento State University. Um, After that, I was working as an administrator in a group home. And one of the kids was acting out, police officers showed up, and it kind of just clicked. It seemed random at the time, but it just kind of clicked that he had great people skills. And I was like, I want to do that. And then I just started applying to departments. And I've always been, like, very physical. I love the gym. Um, I love pushing myself. Um, I like kind of the unknown. I don't really like doing the same thing again and again and again. I I like different experiences. And so I think that's what kind of drew me to it. So what's the process of um, getting into the actual department um, for anyone that's interested in joining? Yes. uh, First thing is a written test you take. Um, after that, once you pass the written test, there's a physical test. Usually you have a 500 yard run. You have a six foot wooden fence to climb over, a six foot chain link fence to climb over. You have 165 dummy drag for 32 feet. And these are all timed exercises where you need a qualifying score to pass. There's different tests and it definitely helps if you go to the gym because it's, it's hard to pass those tests unless you have a good physical standing. Um, Once you do that, then you have the, you have the oral interview where they ask you questions. Um, Once you pass that, then they start a background investigation. It's very detailed. Um, They'll go back your tenure history, everyone you've lived with, everywhere you've worked, um, your friends, spouses, relationships, um, tickets you've had, Um, any run-ins with the police, any misdemeanors. They do a very, very thorough background check to see what kind of character this person is before they hire you. And then once you pass the background, then they have 
a psychological test to make sure that you are of mind and matter to carry a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you pass the psychological exam, then they have a, a short medical exam. And then after that, you're offered a conditional offer of employment. After passing all those exams and of all those tests, then you enter the police academy, which is six and a half months where you're having tests every week, where you're running just your butt off. Right. Just very grueling, militaristic. That was six and a half months. And I didn't pass the first time. I went through 15 weeks and then I failed. And then I was hired as a sheriff's technician. You were hired as a sheriff's technician. Yes, for four months. And then I was given the opportunity to go back to the academy and do the whole academy again for another six months. So um, just so there's like a clear picture that, yes, it was a very grueling process. And to go back through, it was just, you know. Well, I actually wanted to ask, because we'll get into your struggles with when you decided to tie the thought and how that was a factor in your workplace. But did you face any kind of issues with just being a woman or being a woman of color when you were first applying to be a deputy sheriff? This is like before you started tying your thought. I think definitely. I think you have more to prove when you are a female um, doing a job that's that's historically been done by men. Men are stronger. Um, mm-hmm. They have a stronger physical appearance. And when you're in police work, a lot of, a lot of your presence is, is very influential. Are you have a small stature, right? Is someone gonna just look at you and say, "Oh, I can beat him up," you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think being a female, definitely, um, you have to prove more mm-hmm. that you can handle the stress of the job, you are able to handle yourself with a gun, with everything you're wearing on your belt, your baton, you know, to show that, that you are competent. Just out of curiosity, how heavy are those belts? The belts probably about 20 pounds. Wow. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) And then having to run in that Mm -hmm. and be wearing it all day because I'm a massage therapist and I get a lot of uh, patients who come in, not a lot, I've had a few, like maybe three or four that are police officers and they complain about the low back pain because they're carrying that belt, Mm -hmm. especially new ones, new police officers. Right. Yeah. And I think when you're doing a job that is heavy, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, you have to be able to de-stress, exercise, meditation, because you carry and you see a lot, right? You're basically dealing with the worst of society. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to take that load off of you mentally as well. And I think all those pains gather up in the body when we don't uh, take them off. So you mentioned previously that you did take Amrit um, once you were on the job. Um, so what was that like? Um, you did say that you couldn't just show up to work wearing at the start of the next day. So what was that decision like? What was everyone's reaction around you? So I think it was it was December 2008 when I actually wrote a letter to my department um, and I told them that I was planning on becoming Amritari baptized. And what that meant was that I would be wearing the star with the uniform. So from December 2008 to March 2009, I had a few meetings with the upper management. We were discussing it and it didn't go so well. Basically, they told me that when I applied, I understood what the uniform policy was and I agreed to that uniform policy. Um, and I also couldn't really cite any cases where there was someone that was 
working in that capacity as a police officer or as a deputy sheriff um, that was working anywhere in the United States, I couldn't say, hey, look, there's that guy over there, you know, so I couldn't really cite any examples. So that was also something that wasn't there. So basically, so in March, um, I had accumulated some time off and I wanted to go to Anandpur Sahib to get baptized. So I was away from work for about a month on vacation. Um, and when I returned, I was I received Amrit. And I came back and I emailed my department letting him know that I was a Mathadi. And I was planning on coming to work with my Dastar uniform the next day. Then the sheriff called me that evening and congratulated me on my baptism, but told me I was going to be reassigned to a desk job temporarily. That temporary desk job was for three years and eight months. I want to just rewind a bit. You, you mentioned wearing a Dastar. I just wanted to know what were your reasonings for wanting to wear a Dastar in particular? Um, I really felt that the Dastar was the identity of the Sikhs, you know, especially since 9-11. The identity of the Sikhs was targeted after that. People didn't understand who we were. I thought it was very important that as a Sikh, uh, both for females and males, we should wear the Dastar because Guru Gobind Singh from a distance, he says he wants to see his sick, right? Um, that was targeted, especially since 9-11. I felt like I had to wear the star because I have to stand tall and be truthful to to my religion, mm -hmm. to my Sikhi. So what was the state law at the time when you were fighting this um, with the police department? Uh, there were no state laws, unfortunately, at the time. Um, the Sikh Coalition, who helps um, people fight for their religious rights in the workplace, um, I contacted them, and they actually helped a great deal in making AB 1964 a law in California. Um, so they really advocated and, and helped make that law possible. And by giving you a desk job, you're uh, the ACSO, they gave you a desk job. They're essentially saying that they don't want your appearance to represent their office. And so you could have chosen not to wear this thought and still keep your job because you had worked so hard for it. Like you just highlighted for us all the exams you had to go through and uh, the interviews and things like that. So you could have just chosen not to wear it. Why decide to stay with the ACSO and wear your Dastar in an assignment that was segregated from keeping you from the public? They they didn't want you to represent their organization. So why still stay there? I understood the laws at the time, um, and I, I've already I've already worked for this organization. I like the organization. Prior to me becoming Amritadi. I was given a lot of opportunities. Um, I was getting a lot of experience. And so I felt I needed to stay there and just work through this, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Stick it out and like try to see yes. if you could make some changes. Yes. You can't run away from the problem. Uh, there's going to be, and everything you go through serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was a long and grueling process, that time actually served to strengthen my Sikhi, right? Right. So what would you say it was like for you during those three years while you were waiting for the department to uh, come up with a final decision um, while you were fighting the case? Um, it was definitely challenging. 
<clears throat> because when I would go to trainings, because um, you had to qualify every four months with your gun, I would go to trainings, but I would be the only one that was not in uniform. Everyone else is in uniform. I would not be in uniform. It was definitely challenging because it was very clear they weren't in a place to accept the star as part of the uniform. They wanted uniformity, and at the time, that was what mattered most to them. And did you feel like you were alone in that battle? Was there anyone else within the department that was taking your side? Um, you know, there were people that I felt did support me, but it was all done very quietly, you know, um, because everyone at the same time is looking at their own career and wants to progress. Um, and so you want to be aligned with people that are that are liked by management. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I did have I definitely had friends um, that supported me. Um, and of course, I got all my strength from Guru Saib to continue being in that situation. I don't think I could have been in it uh, without Guru Saib. So with his kirpa, I was able to go through that. And that's such a huge like feat, an amazing thing. I think it's so inspiring for young women, for women that are either trying to be in law enforcement or just any career where their thought or their physical appearance is affecting their jobs. Um, you mentioned AB, sorry, what was the law called again? AB 1964. Okay. So it was three years later that that law changed and there was some involvement by the Sikh coalition. And then, uh, yes. it was the state assembly member who introduced that law. Can you talk about that whole process? Yes. It was introduced by state assembly member Marika Yamada mm -hmm. and it was sponsored by the Sikh coalition. So it was all their doing. I wasn't really a part of that. Um, they pushed through, um, and with Guruji's Kirpa, that law passed uh, January 1st, 2013. When that law passed is when I was given the opportunity to wear the uniform again with my Dastar. And then it was upper management that had a meeting with me to let me know that I could now wear my Dastar with the uniform um, but it was done in a really dry manner. It was kind of like, oh, this law has passed. We follow the law and here you go. It wasn't like we embrace diversity and we're happy to have you. It just didn't feel very warm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and maybe I shouldn't have been attached to that sort of response, you know, because I think when we have certain expectations and those expectations are not met, we become disappointed. What were your expectations? What were you expecting your superior officers to say to you? Um, just that, you know, you did, a, you did a good job when you weren't on Mathari and you're the same person. We, you have the same worth ethic and we're happy to have you. You know, just we accept you as you are. It's, it's a Bay Area. It's, it's, there's so much diversity here in California. Mm -hmm. So many languages spoken, so many different kinds of people, different walks of life. You would think at this day and age, it would be accepted, but it's still a struggle. Yeah, I'm still shocked that it took until 2013 mm -hmm. for this law to pass. That's insane. That was only, what, seven years ago? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so eventually you did decide to leave your position um, in March of 2018. So what made you decide to do that? Uh, there was also the issue of the helmet, um, you know, like in World War One and World War II, Sikh soldiers, they didn't wear a helmet when they fought in the wars mm -hmm. and they weren't mandated to wear a helmet. Um, 
And then as police officers and deputy sheriffs, there are instances um, where they require you to wear a helmet. Mm -hmm. If there's a riot situation, they have a helmet that you're supposed to wear. Um, So even though when I was a Marthari during the time I served, I didn't have to wear a helmet, I, I still struggled with the idea of having to wear it because I just felt like, there should be nothing on top of your the star. You, then mm-hmm. you're not you're hiding your identity as a Sikh. Mm-hmm. So that kind of whether or not I should be wearing it, I shouldn't be wearing it, really was kind of a, an issue for me. And I think I was also just mentally fatigued working for an organization organization where I didn't feel really appreciated what I had to offer. It seems very stressful. So- How do you deal with that kind of burnout? <laughs> like when you're when you're so stressed all the time because you're not just trying to do your normal job, you're fighting an uphill battle with people who are against you just because of the way you look. Right. And I think, honestly, if I knew more about my own Sikh history, mm-hmm. I think I could have been stronger. I think that there are so many examples in Sikh history where people... Singhs and Singhanese struggle through and endure. Everything is under Guruji's control Everything that happens is under his hookum. I think if maybe I was stronger, I would have kept on going and not have taken that leave of, you know, left my position. But I just felt at that time I needed a break. Yeah, I think that's really important to take time away when you need it, especially being in. I mean, every job Mm -hmm. is stressful these days. It doesn't matter what you do, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I feel like you're dealing in a job where you're making split second decisions every day and you're not going to know if it was always the right decision. Um, so how do you go back and process that and accept that the decision you made was the right decision? Um, or if you felt later it wasn't the right decision, how do you um, come to terms with that? I think I everything happens for a reason. So I always go back to that simplicity. And so I left. That's what happened. Um, but since that time, um, I thought I was done with law enforcement when I left. Um, but Guruji has shown me that I'm not done yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently in the process of a retraining so I can apply to departments in Northern California. Um, cause I feel like there is still more work to be done and I still feel like I have a lot to offer. So the process continues. Yeah. So what are you up to these days in terms of your training process? Um, just going to the gym, um, training, getting ready for physical tests, um, applying, getting ready for interviews. Is it harder now? Like, you know, you've, you've had children since, and I mean, everybody's getting older every day. (laughs) So is it, do you find that it's harder now or you have more motivation now? Um, in some ways, I think the break has also been a source of strength because I've gotten more time to kind of practice my spirituality. Mm-hmm. So um, in a way, it's easier. Like I feel more driven, like I know what I want versus before I was kind of not sure whether I was in the right line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, the time has given me has given me the opportunity to see that this really is where I'm supposed to be and I just need to work hard to get where to retrain and pass the test speaking of that test you did mention earlier that you know this uh, law enforcement policing it is um, heavily dominated by males and I think you had mentioned earlier offline that it's about 10 percent of most police departments across the United States are um, 
female police officers. So it's, you know, heavily dominated by males. What advice would you give to a female who wants to go into law enforcement? Um, Never let the statistics uh, turn you away. Um, There is always space for people that are driven and willing to work hard. Um, we have great examples in our in our Sikh tradition, my Bago, right? Mm-hmm. To think about how she led the Khalsa in that time and age, so many, so many, so many years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so incredible. Um, I think nothing is impossible when you have the mindset and you have the dedication to put in the time and effort to achieve your goals and obviously ask Guruji's uh, blessings, you know? And a lot of jobs do get stereotyped. So what was your family's reaction when they heard that you wanted to become a deputy sheriff? Uh, well, the funny thing is when I was working on my master's in social work, one of my internships was at the California Youth Authority, which is basically a prison for uh, kids between the ages of 11 and 21. So the stage was sort of set there that I was going to go in that line of work. I never thought I was going to go in this line of profession, but looking back i think you know you start seeing oh wow why did i why did i choose that internship you know um and then actually i always like to say my law enforcement career started in sixth grade when i became a crossing guard Aww. <laughs> that's so cute <laughs> yeah i love that position actually i did it for the cupcakes because if you did it you used to get to go early to <laughs> but but I did like, you know, controlling the traffic. It was fun. Uh, so after you, you did um, your the time with the prison there, like your parents weren't surprised when you basically said, this is what I'm pursuing. Uh, they did kind of think, oh, that's dangerous, you know. Um, but I've always been kind of a tomboy. So I've always been a very physical person. Um, I've always liked, I wasn't really interested in cooking when I was younger. I was more interested in like, how do you fix a car? Um, I didn't mind getting dirty. I love to sweat. So it was kind of like they already knew I was kind of not your traditional female. Mm -hmm. So they weren't that surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, this is a question that's very relevant right now. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but there is a hashtag going around called I love my hair. Or uh, if you translate it, it's I love my guess. And it started because there was a couple on uh-huh. they have a podcast have you heard of this situation no i haven't okay so there's a punjabi couple they have a podcast and they have a youtube channel and they were posting and uh, it was just kind of a misunderstanding i think they got they they i don't know they didn't explain themselves very well they didn't give like proper disclaimers and they essentially what a lot of people took from the podcast was that it is okay for Bibian to get laser hair treatment uh, to get their hair removed before they take Amrit. So they should do that first and then take Amrit. Oh, wow. And um, the the Bibi was saying it from her own personal perspective, but it kind of came off as they were doing Prajar. And oh. they, they apologized afterward and they even released an apology video. And I think like that's that's even itself a huge step. They took out the problematic statements out of the original video, reposted it, and then posted an apology video. But it started this great, beautiful movement. And a lot of Bibian here in uh, Canada, US, UK were posting about their struggles with case. And it was amazing to see how many Bibian are struggling with case. Because when you see an Amritari Bibian, you see case on her face, you think that it's very easy for her. 
and you think it's only hard for the ones maybe who have more of like area where uh, hair in the area where the beard is but a lot of people you may look at them and you think well you don't even have uh, hair on your face like why are you insecure but it is an insecurity because I mean society has portrayed women to be hairless right um you did talk a little bit about that wearing makeup uh removing your case and uh, the struggles that women face can you talk a little bit about that Oh, yes, absolutely. It's something I've struggled with. That's what was really holding me back from becoming Amritadi was I was afraid of the hair. Mm -hmm. I used to I used to carry a razor in my car because I was just like so afraid that this hair would be seen that I had to like get rid of it anytime I saw it. It was it was just insane. Um, But I have to say that the hair the hair is a gift. Um, and we, we fail to understand that, but it's a gift. It actually brings us closer to the truth that it takes us away from duality Mm -hmm. because when we think we're attractive, we're actually practicing duality and we forget we're just a soul on a journey to meet Waiguru and everything here is temporary. It's not about, it's not about, uh, your exterior, it's really about uh, the truth inside of you. The hair really definitely was a struggle because after I became Amritadi, um, I had actually, I was one of those females that had some laser treatments. Um, mm-hmm. Not when I was planning on becoming Amritadi, but just because I just didn't want the hair. So I mm-hmm. had laser treatments on my legs. I had it on my face um, because I was so afraid of the hair. But when I became Amritadi, um, I knew that I had to let this hair grow. Whatever hair was going to come was going to stay there. Because I, if you're going to practice Sikhi, right, you have to give your head. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to get rid of you, right? Okay. There has to be no more you. And I, I agree with so, that. I think uh, by, you know, kind of, I almost feel like it's cheating to, you know, get laser treatment and then take Amrit because you're kind of living with your foot like one one foot in and one foot out the door because you're still living up to society's beauty standards. And sometimes exactly. I feel like that's what the distad has become. Yeah, like it's uh, now nowadays women find wearing a distad, it's become very popular in Western culture and women are wearing it and they look beautiful in it. Mm-hmm. But on the side, they are also wearing makeup. They're also removing gaze. And it's very like they're misconstruing the image of what an Amritari woman uh, that has dedicated her head to the guru should look like. So... I, I, you know, it's interesting because at the same time, I also feel like men are allowed to wear the, the, the star culturally, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have, um, oh, they don't have to be amratari. They can be drinking. They can be uh, going to parties and no one tells them to take their, the star off. Right. Mm-hmm. But if a female, let's say a female's still struggling, right? So she is maybe wearing makeup or whatever. Why? There, I feel like there's a triple standard. I think we should have the same standard for both men and women. Mm-hmm. If men are allowed to wear the, the star because they do so culturally, then I, I also feel women should be given the same opportunity. But at the same time, if you are going to practice Sikhi, like if you really want to practice your Sikhi, you do have to give up all those things. And that mm-hmm. goes for both men and women, right? When you give your head to the Guru, what does that mean? I think it means there's no more me. It's not about what I look like to the world. It's about 
Am I pleasing my guru? Guruji says to keep the hair and the facial hairs are to help us practice the truth of our existence. We can die at any time, right? So if I remind myself that my death is imminent, then whether or not I have facial hair is of no consequence. It doesn't matter. Um, what matters is, am I living a truthful existence? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you talked to us offline about an experience that you had with the Babaji at the Gurdwara. What did they say yes. to you? Yes. Oh, yes. The Babaji, amazing Babaji. His name is Baba Bahadur Singh. Um, I went to his home. He was like a grandfather to me. And um, he's just very spiritually involved. And I knew that he would give me the right answer. Mm-hmm. And so I, I asked him, I said, Babaji, mere baal And I pointed to my chin area, mm-hmm. you know because <clears throat> it was something I was struggling with and he said so simply so beautifully he said mm-hmm. and I just and then I just had to continuously tell myself and I like going back to what you were saying earlier about men and women and how they're perceived in society it's it's almost I think uh, this is a point that I got from that YouTube video that just went viral that started that I love my case movement is the Singh was saying that it became a lot easier for him to keep his case before he used to, you know, cut his uh, case on his uh, face, his body. And he he said that it became a lot easier because nowadays there's even a trend. A lot of men like Western men are keeping their their beards and it's it's the cool thing to do man buns and all of that stuff right men are starting to grow their hair longer so he said that really helped him and i thought that was really interesting that society changed and made it easier for a sick man to grow his hair on his face if only society would change to make it easier for a sick woman as well Mm -hmm. that would be awesome (laughs) but the thing is as long as we're glued in to like okay society is doing this so now it's okay we're never gonna be strong yeah You're yeah, going to that's be a strong good point. when you don't attach yourself to what they're doing, right? Yeah. Because their fads will change all the time. So today they think it's cool to have a beard. And next week they'll be like, oh, no, you don't need the beard anymore. And then you'll be left alone again, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The key is not about becoming like the masses of people. It's mm-hmm. a very distinct path. And you have to take pride in being distinct. You know, you have to, that inner strength has to come from really understanding who you are, who your gurus are, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to your career, now that you have been a deputy sheriff, um, is it, was, is the job basically what you thought it was going into it? Um, How was it different to what you initially thought when you signed up? Because like a lot of kids when they're young, they're like, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be like a fireman or I'm going to be a teacher or police officer. But a lot of people don't pursue that at the end. Um, initially, honestly, I, I knew very little about law enforcement. Um, I just knew that I liked the physical challenges of it, that you always had to be on your feet. You had to be quick. You have to make quick decisions. Uh, the spontaneity of it was what attracted me. It also helped, uh, ground me and helping me be so grateful, um, cause there's so the people that you're dealing with that are incarcerated, that population their upbringing, you know, uh, is so, is so different than a normal person's, you know, um, just the poverty, the drugs. So it really helped me be grateful for the, the upbringing that I had, that I had a family, that I had just the normalcy of, of what I had was so amazing. Um, 
it just makes you be really grateful. Yeah. And do you have any techniques of what you would do at the end of a tough day at work uh, to cope with everything that you've seen or been through? I think uh, once I was on the like the path of Sikhi, being Amritari, I just knew just remembering God as much as possible, um, having humility during the job, so not judging them for whatever it is that they've done. Um, people make mistakes. They're on their journey. You're on your journey, but you're there to you're there to treat them as fairly as possible. You know, um, I think. I think that's just just what I try to do. Um, not really think about what they've done, because that's that's theirs to carry, not for me to carry and make judgments on them. Um, so now, what's next for you? Where do you see yourself in a few years? The plan is to be working for a sheriff's office, but we will see where Guruji wants me to be, mm-hmm. um, and then to just continue growing as a sick hopefully uh reducing the ego you know because ego causes so many problems oh yeah (laughs) uh yeah i think if we can just reduce ego we can uh, reduce a lot of problems in our life and how would you describe yourself in one sentence so if you had to complete this sentence how would it end harinder kaur is uh still learning Mm-hmm. Still learning. I like that. Yeah. Nice and simple. Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed you you use Harinder Kaur Khalsa. Was that a decision that took you a while to come to or what made yes, you decide actually, that? Actually, my, my maiden name was Harinder Kaur Janda. And then, um, I, you know, I felt like you need to let go of those, those names. And so I want to become a Khalsa. And that's why I changed my name to Khalsa. So does your son use Kalsa as well? Yes, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so before we end the podcast, we always do the random five. Um, so to start off, what is your favorite book? Um, I think my favorite book would be The Seed of the Soul. Um, I read that many, many years ago by Gary Zukoff. He talks about authentic power, um, just moving inside yourself, right? Um, not the external power that you're going to have, with the cars you drive or the positions you hold in society, because all that can change at any time. But really gaining that inside authentic power, I feel like that comes also through Sikhi, right? Your awareness of your soul. Um, what is your favorite quote or Bani Pankti? Uh, I think what I like to remind myself is, Santanka What did you feel the very first time you heard that? Um, actually, I don't remember the first time I heard that. But it was actually a Shabbat. One of my friends helped me learn. Um, when I like go to the Godwara, I try to remind myself of that because mm-hmm. it helps reduce my ego. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful Pankti. <clears throat> um, and what would you say is um, a weird quirk of yours? Uh, I like peanut butter and cheese sandwiches. Never heard of that combination. Peanut butter and cheese sandwiches. And the funny thing is, I didn't think it was like different or weird until I started bringing it to work and people were like, what's that? Oh, that's (laughs) weird. And I was like, oh, it is? I thought it was totally normal. (laughs) That's so funny. I was like. Um, If you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? uh, There's a lot of people I would like to meet, um, but one of them would be Mai Pago. What would you say to Mai Pago? Uh, how can I be like you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would say something along those lines as well. And the last random five is, what's your biggest pet peeve? 
uh, lying. Yeah, lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we end off the podcast today, Benji, um, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners? I would just like to say, really be true to yourself. Take time, take quiet time to be still with yourself, um, to really feed yourself and realize what your purpose is in life. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important is to know your why, like we were talking about with, you know, you being able to deal with all those struggles that you went through at work and the the case, all of that, it just, it, the reason you were able to get through that is because you knew your why, mm -hmm. your purpose. And your purpose in this life is, in my opinion, to meet Guru Sahib and you've shown that. So thank you very much, Benji, for sharing your story and being open with us. And I think a lot of young women will listen to this and feel inspired. For sure. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to recognize the mistakes I've made during this podcast. Um, please forgive me. And I also just wanted to say that the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because I wanted to share some of the difficulties I faced um, in order to give people strength. Um, Everything we endure serves a purpose and it makes us stronger. So if our lives were easy, we wouldn't really become strong. <laughs> it's through adversity and difficulty that we become stronger and more resilient. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you so much. All right. So we'll end off here. You've been listening to the Experience Saki podcast. 